my sin away. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. What can wash away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12. I want to read verses 1 and 2. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. The Bible says, wherefore, and of course the word wherefore is, is a conjunction, conjunctive word, kind of refers you back to the preceding chapter, and we'll look at that a little bit later, but wherefore seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Let's look, Lord, in prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you again for the privilege and opportunity that we have to meet together this morning. We thank you for the privilege we can sing praises under thy glorious name, for truly thou art worthy of our praise, of our honor, and our worship. Lord, we do thank you for our, our nation, the freedoms that we enjoy. Thank you for those who paid the price to preserve 
gave their lives for our freedoms. But Father, we also want to remember this morning that consider those who sacrificed and even shed their blood to preserve the faith once delivered unto the saints. So Lord, I pray that you'd encourage us, challenge us, speak to our hearts, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we think about Memorial Day, I, the word memorial means, according to Webster's 1828, contained in memory or to keep in memory. You know, memorial Day is a day for Americans to remember those who died in defense of our nation. Of course, it is an honorable thing for us as Americans to remember those who gave their price. Uh, their lives for our freedoms. But as Americans and as Christians, we have forgotten we have to remember those that have fought and died for the liberties that we as Americans were the first in the world to obtain. Now I'm referring to Religious liberty. Liberty of conscience. Liberty of speech. Liberty to assemble. To petition the government for redress of grievance. You know, our First Amendment says, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or of the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. Where else in the world can you petition the government for redress of grievances? The Second Amendment is also very dear to us, which says a well-regulated militia being necessary for the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. And again, I ask you, where in the world do you have these rights? How do they come about in the United States of America? What was the cause or the force behind this kind of government which we've enjoyed for over 200 years? You know, I believe if we would understand the reason, we will understand why we are losing those very liberties today. You know, really, we no longer have free speech. It's being censored constantly. College campuses will not allow certain speakers on campus. Many speakers have been threatened with violence. The speech of pastors is being scrutinized and censored. You know, they just supposedly got rid of the Johnson Amendment. That was an infringement on free speech. Our forefathers would have, would have, would have, petitioned Congress with a redress of grievance over that. Basically what it said was you weren't supposed to, as a pastor, um, um, you know, support a certain, uh, you know, publicly a certain candidate. That's what the Johnson Amendment was about. Christian business owners are being fined, jailed, put out of business for refusing to business with or hire sodomites. 
St. Louis just passed an ordinance that will not allow religious organizations to be exempt from hiring those that are pro-abortion and will compel private businesses to provide pro-abortion health care. Again, I ask, why are we losing our liberties? Is it maybe because we have rewritten our history or have forgotten how we actually came to these liberties, how we obtained them? You know, who was it that petitioned our founding fathers for a Bill of Rights? What Christian persuasion practiced the liberties that are advanced in our constitutional amendments, which says there be no establishment of a religion or the prohibiting of a free exercise thereof? That's what we call soul liberty, which means every individual, whether a believer or an unbeliever, has the freedom to choose what his conscience or soul dictates is right in the religious realm. You know, so, so who is it? What group of people in the world practiced and promoted these things? Now, so this morning, I want, I want to think about it. I want to answer some of those questions. And I believe answer the reason why we're losing our liberties, because... We no longer, as Americans, understand how we really came about these liberties that we have. Our, our text says, Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. Now, I believe that the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, and I believe he probably wrote it to the church at Jerusalem, but he talks here about a great cloud of witnesses that we are compassed about. That the word compass has to mean that all around or they encircle us. It, re- it refers to those or that proceed here in chapter 11. James Fawcett and Brown in his commentary said this, quote, Those witnessed of become in their turn witnesses in a twofold way. First of all, attesting by their own case of faithfulness of God to his people. Some of them martyrs in the modern, modern sense. You know, Hebrews 6.12 says, That ye be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherited the promises. Secondly, as think about this cloud of witnesses. He says it, it witnesses our struggle of faith. However, this second sense of witnesses, though agreeing with the image here, is to be, if it is to be pressed, is not positively, not positively, unequivocally or directly sustained in scripture it gives vividness to the image as the crowd of spectators gave additional spirit to the combatants so the cloud of witnesses who have themselves been in the same contest ought to increase our earnestness testifying as they do to god's faithfulness so the idea there that he's talking about is that you know like a like you go to a ball game and you're in the grandstand cheering on the contestants but he says that really can't be fully substantiated in the scripture. And so I believe the idea of what Paul's referring to here is there have been many who have gone before us who have run the race, who have kept the faith. And these are a challenge to us. They endured the trials and hardships of life and remained steadfast and faithful to the end. 
give any evidence that the grace of God is sufficient to sustain us and strengthen us and give us victory. And really, as you examine these witnesses, it goes all the way back to the first family and Abel. In chapter 4 of Hebrews 11, it says, By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. So it goes all the way back to the, the beginning. The first witness is the first, the, the, one of the sons of the first family who was, who was martyred, killed by his brother because his offering was accepted and his brother's was not. And what you have here immediately in the book of Genesis is you have a right way of approaching on to God and a false way of approaching on. You have true religion, you have false religion. And this really is a catalog, Hebrews 11 is a catalog of those that we need to keep in memory or hold as a memorial. I'm going to read it. Verse 4, by faith Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because God had translated him for before his translation he had this testimony that he pleased God. You know, Enoch lived in a day when every imagination, a man's heart was only evil continually and yet he walked with God. Verse 6, without faith it is impossible to please him for he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith Noah, being warned of God, of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went. By faith he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundation, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself restrained strength to conceive seed, and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. For they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity of return. But now they desire a better country, that is, in heavenly, where God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said, that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up, even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. By faith Isaac blessed Jacob, and Esau concerning things to come. By faith Jacob, when he was dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph, and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. 
By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandment. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect under the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by dry land, which the Egyptians saying to do were drowned. By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab received, perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spies with peace. And what shall I more say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon, and of Barak, and of Samson, and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel, and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, wrought righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant in fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might attain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, they were sawn asunder, were tempted, were slain with a sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God, having provided something better for us, that they without us should not be made perfect. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You see, we have a great cloud of witnesses that have gone before us. History, you know, many commentators say that they believe that verses 36 through 38 are also prophetic. That is, that the writer speaks of those yet in the future. And really, if you read history since New Testament times, if you read true history since New Testament times, it is a story of the persecution and blood of the martyrs. You know, it start out with the Roman persecutions. Then Constantine united the church and the state, out of which came the Roman Catholic Church. And they persecuted, tortured, and shed the blood of millions of people. Bloodshed was rampant through that. The groups, Paulicians, these are the early ones, Paulicians, the Donatists of North Africa, uh, were persecuted by Augustine. Albigenses of southern France, the Waldenses of Italy uh, and southern France, uh, all over Europe, Baptists or Anabaptists, as they were called in derision, were severely persecuted. One writer says, for example, it has been estimated by careful and reputed historians of the Catholic Inquisition that 50 million people were slaughtered for the crime of heresy by Roman persecutors between A.D. 606 and the middle of the 19th century. 
This is a number cited by John Dowling, who published the classic history of Romanism in 1847. Only seven years after its first printing, it could be said of Dowling's book, it has already obtained a circulation much more extensive than any large volume ever published in America upon the subject of which it treats, or perhaps in England, with the exception of Fox's Book of Martyrs. Clark, Clark's Martyrology accounts uh, the number of the Waldensian martyrs during the first half of the 13th century in France alone at 2 million. From A.D. 1160 to 1560, the Waldensians, which dwelt in the Italian Alps, were visited with 36 different persecutions that spared neither age nor sex. The Waldensians were almost completely destroyed as a people, and most of their literary record was erased from the face of the earth. From the year 1540 to 1570, it is proved by national authentic testimony that nearly one million Protestants were publicly put to death in various countries in Europe, besides all those that were privately destroyed, of whom no record exists. Quote, unquote. Catholic historian Vergarius admits gleefully that during the pontificate of Pope Paul IV, 1555 to 1559, the Inquisition alone, by torture, starvation, or fire, murdered more than 150,000 Protestants. And they use, of course, different methods of torture. In his book, on the Waldensians, Ted Alexander talks about the methods of torture. Dungeons, galleys, strangulation, burning at the stake, burnout in the woods, starvation, the racks, cords, the wheel, iron wedges, boiling water, something they called the hell, which was burnt with pitch, scourging, dragging through the streets, be beating with burning logs, flaying, casting down, being fed to hogs, throat slit, cut in pieces, impaled on spikes and set on fire, and on and on we go. These were the tortures used by the great whore, the Roman Catholic Church, against God's people. What was, what was, what was their crime? Well, they rejected infant baptism. They rejected a church state. But what most people don't understand is that these persecutions came to America in the colonies. You see, the Puritans of England came to America to escape the persecution of the Catholic Church and to purify the state church. But they established a state church in America. And when Baptists started to come to America, they were persecuted. John Clark, Dr. John Clark, led persecution in Boston. He established the first Baptist church in the American colonies in Newport, Rhode Island, 1638. The church in Newport paid expenses for him and Roger Williams to stay in England for the purpose of obtaining a charter 
for Rhode Island. Clark stayed in England for 12 years until he was finally granted the charter that he wrote, the first of its kind in the world, granting religious liberty to all. 1663 Charter of Rhode Island, of which Thomas Jefferson said aided him in writing the Declaration of Independence. Of course, Roger Williams was banished from Boston as well, fled to Rhode Island. You know, but when, when he came to America, every, every colony had its state church. In New England, it was the Church of England. In Virginia, it was Episcopalian. And every... And James Beller, in his introduction to the American Crimson Red, says this, and I quote, I know of no historian, secular or Christian, who seems willing to discuss the enemy of his souls and our adversary, the devil. Ignoring his devices is unwise. His device of diversion is one of his greatest weapons. When Baptist origins in America are discussed, we are usually pointed to Roger Williams. Williams was indeed a great man, but as we shall discover, he was not our founder. We have been diverted from our truly great American pioneer pastor, Dr. John Clark. This diversion has continued throughout American history. This is just one error in the history which this narrative seeks to uncover and correct. Every American should be aware of the testimony of Isaac Bacchus. You know, Isaac Bacchus pastored Middleborough, Massachusetts from 1756 to 1806. He was taxed, seized, imprisoned, but was released without paying the taxes or compromising. He labored all his life seeking religious liberty in New England. He was sent to the Continental Congress in Philadelphia by the Warren Association, it was a Baptist Association, to list some favor, liberty of conscience for Baptists. And then he was accused of being a Tory. You know what Tory is? A Tory is an American who sided with the British. Because he was critical or you know, addressed the grievances against the Baptists that the colonists were doing, that were in power. Shubal Stearns. Shubal Stearns was saved under George Whitfield, became a Baptist, migrated to Sandy Creek, North Carolina, started a church. In a few short years, the church had 900 members. And of course, the state church, I think it was the Church of England in North Carolina, they persecuted him, of course, Governor Tryon. Of course, some of you have heard about the Battle of Alamance. It really wasn't much of a battle. Anyway, they were persecuted and scattered and reduced to 13, but they went all over the South, South Carolina, Georgia, Virginia, Tennessee, Kentucky, and started churches everywhere. And out of that one church, they're credited with starting over 1,000 churches, which became known as the Bible Belt. Uh, Samuel Harris, James Ireland, Daniel Marshall, all, many of these came out of Samuel or Shubal Stern's church. John Gano, who was the chaplain 
chaplain in the Continental Army who baptized George Washington. Thomas Baldwin, Baldwin and Isaac McCoy. Isaac McCoy was a Baptist missionary to the frontier Indians. You know, we hear much about David Brainerd and his works. But they pale in comparison to Isaac McCoy. He says, perhaps you've read of Silas Mercer, James Furman, or John Leland. What of Obadiah Holmes, who was beaten on the streets of Boston for visiting and holding an unauthorized church service? Or John Weatherford, whose wrists and hands were lacerated while he preached from a Virginia jail? Or John Waller, who was incarcerated several times for preaching without a license? Or James Ireland, whose family was poisoned in retribution for his pointed preaching? What a pity this generation has forgotten about the real history of America and has neglected even the resting places the most influential of American patriots. Blame must be placed on the shoulders of the last generation of historians and educators and preachers who failed to raise memorials to our departed servants of Christ. You see, our freedoms are the result of our Baptist forefathers who lived, persecuted, many times disenfranchised, lost their property to promote the liberties that we have, what we call the First Amendment. You know, we hear a lot about the Green Mountain Boys of Nathaniel Green. What about the Overmountain men? Many of which were Baptists. Tidens Lane and nine of his sons were of those group. Tidens Lane was one of the first converts of Shubal Stearns there in North Carolina. They moved to Tennessee after the persecution. They, they were the ones that defeated Ferguson and his Tories at Kings Mountain, which many believe set in motion the events that led to the surrender of Cornwallis at Yorktown. You see, we have a rich heritage that we must not forget. There have been many who have gone before us who have struggled and fought, persecuted, and died. To promote the liberties that we enjoy today. You know, what is it? What is it that these witnessed to or testified to? Well, I want to give you several things. First of all, the necessity of a new birth experience prior to baptism. This is one of the main issues of the times. The necessity of a new birth experience. See, all the state churches baptize infants. And... Regeneration or salvation was not required for church membership. Of course, the Baptists rejected that. They said that they required the necessity of a new birth experience. Baptism, second thing, baptism by immersion or dipping. Of course, all these things are based upon the Bible. Baptism by immersion or dipping. Uh, thirdly, a regenerated, saved church membership. Uh, fourth, Individual soul liberty or liberty of conscience. That's where we get our First Amendment. And 
fifth, and these are not exhaustive, of course, no state church relationship. And that's what our First Amendment says. Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or permitting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or the press or the right of the people peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievance. That's soul liberty. In his book, James Beller wrote uh, Sacred Betrayal on page 67. He was talking about this, this issue. He quotes uh, the Honorable Oscar Strauss. In 1919, he was ambassador to Turkey twice. He was Secretary of Labor and Commerce and late President Roosevelt's cabinet and president of the League to Enforce Peace. On the eve of sailing for Europe and the peace conference said this, and I quote, If I were asked whom to hold before the American people and the world to typify the American spirit of fairness, of freedom, of liberty, and church and state, I will without hesitation select the great and immortal Roger Williams. He became a Baptist, a community and a church which is famous, notice this, for never having stained its hands with the blood of persecutors. Unquote. David Lord George, Prime Minister of Britain, faced the German army during World War I. He understood the oppression and tyranny of the old world order when he refers to the old world, he's talking about church-state relationship. You know, a, a state-sanctioned church. Lord George sent this startling message to the American National Baptist Convention of eight, 1918. Quote, It is Baptist principles that we are fighting for in this great struggle. All that Baptists count dear is at stake in this issue. Unquote. You see, there was a day when people understood that our First Amendment was a Baptist idea. That our government, our form of government is based upon Bible principles. You know, it was the Baptists in Virginia, led by John Leland, who petitioned, supported in his election, and persuaded James Madison to insist on a Bill of Rights. You see, our liberties are not being taken from us. Just like Israel, if we learn the Sunday class, we're giving them up. Our history has been rewritten. In fact, James Beller, who wrote this book, every, per, every Christian I read this book, American Christian read. But James Beller, there's a video, I think it's in the bookstore back there, of him interviewing and going to places and talking about our founding, and he interviewed a professor, I think it was at Harvard, a history professor, and this, this professor said there's been two history rewrites. The first rewrite, they took the Christians completely out, but that didn't quite fly. So the second rewrite, they put the Christians back in, except the Baptists. And you know, the if you even even in our even in our Christian school curriculum, there's very little about Baptist history. They'll talk about Roger Williams, but J John Clark's never mentioned. John Clark did far more for.
for our religious liberty than Roger Williams ever thought. And John Leland and Shubal Stearns. In fact, James Beller says, in his, again in his introduction, he says this, I contend there were 12 outstanding men in the form of our nation. On this list of 12, only four were politicians. Eight were preachers. Six of the eight preachers were Baptist preachers. They were, in the order, correct order of their influence, according to him, Shubal Stearns, Samuel Harris, George Whitfield, he was an Anglican, but he was the, the one of uh, the, in fact, a lot of his converts became Baptists. Uh, Roger, in fact, he said one time, most of my chickens are becoming ducks. He, he wasn't real happy about it, but, but he taught Bible salvation. But anyway, so he, he brought about the Great Awakening. John Clark, that was started the first Baptist church in America. Roger Williams, Jonathan Edwards, he was a, congrega um, he was a congregationist, I think. Um, preached sinners in the hands of the anger of God. George Washington, Isaac Bacchus, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, John Leland, and Patrick Henry. Six of the twelve are Baptist preachers, were Baptist preachers. You see, the reason we have our liberties is because of our Baptist forefathers who were faithful. So seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, verse 1 says here that we are to lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. We're to lay aside. You know, as we consider the fact that we have so many that have gone before us that have lived and died being faithful to the Lord, uh, God sustaining them through their times of trial and hardships, we ought to run with patience the race that's set forth. But if we're going to run this race, you know, and he compares it like to an Olympic race, we have to lay aside the weights and the sin which does so easily beset us. The word, the word lay aside has the idea of a once for all act. We need to put it off. It's a matter of discipline that can make the difference between winning or losing. And we're not talking about it to obtain salvation but to be faithful as a witness. Every weight, the weight refers to things that are prominent, that are, you know, speaks of bulk or mass, something that's a burden or encumbersome. They need to be taken off, removed. They may not be in themselves sinful or wicked, but they hinder your walk and progress with the Lord. Could be hobbies, habits, that take your time, your thoughts. He also talks about the besetting sin. Besetting sin. Uh, in verse, verse 1 again, and the sin which does so easily beset us. And we need, to, we need to lay aside the besetting sins. It could be a lack of faith. You know, and faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. If there are things in your life that, that hinder or prevent you from assembling together, it's a besetting sin that's going to cause weakness in your life. It'll bring about temptation. It may, be, it may be social media, gaming, relationships, sports, whatever it is. Things you're watching or listening to or reading that affects your thoughts, which will affect your actions. 
which will cause you to be weak. Fearful in witness, neglecting devotions and prayer. You know, Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 5 through 8, Watch thou in all things, endure afflictions, do the work of an evangelist, make full proof of thy ministry. For I am now ready to be offered in the time of my departure is at hand. I have fought a good fight. The Christian life is a fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. You see, there is a crown. There's a race for us to run. It's a life for us to live. A life to please the Lord. To be a witness and a testimony for him. And there's a crown that we can obtain at the judgment day. And you know, our, our instructions are rather simple. They really are. Jesus gave them to the disciples in Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20. Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is governed in me in heaven and earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. You know, we have many Baptist forefathers who believed just like we do. The Waldensians, the people of the Alps of Italy, their doctrine, speaking of their doctrine, um, one man said, Firmness, prudence, charity were observed in the administration of proof. If the offender resisted brother exhortation, his fault had been serious and public. Should he refuse to amend, ecclesiastical penalties were inflicted on him. He might be deprived of all assistance from the church, of the ministry, or the fellowship of the church, and union with it. The frequenting of taverns, those fountains of sin and schools of the devil, where works of miracles of his own kind were prohibited, as well as dancing, which is a procession and pageant of the evil spirit. In the dance, this is what, this is what they wrote. In the dance, the devil tempt, tempts men by means of women in three ways, by touch, sight, and hearing. In the dance... God's Ten Commandments are broken. The hearts of men are intoxicated with temporal joys. They forget God. They utter nothing but falsehood and folly and abandon themselves to pride and cupidity. The discipline regulated marriage and required the consent of parents and, in short, recapitulated in a summary manner the principles, rules of Christian conduct contained in the gospel. An ecclesiastical organization so powerful and so conformed to the spirit of the gospel could be derived only from one source, namely an acquaintance with the word of life, and a habitual submission to its precepts through faith. Ted Alexander said this, While the Valdez practiced church discipline, preached and expected personal separation, had rules against drinking, rules against dancing, with an explanation as to why, and they even had courtship rules with parental oversight. At this point, the proper question to ask may be, not be, were the Waldensians independent Baptists? The question should probably be, are independent Baptists in 2016 anything like their holy Waldensian forebears. Holiness of life. And of course they practice 
believer's baptism and by immersion only. You see, our, our instructions, again, are simple. And we have many that have gone before us testifying of the sufficiency and grace of God. I quote Brother Beller again. He says, I quote, I approached the records assuming that those who recorded our heritage were sincerely moved by this spectacle they observed. I did not explain away what was recorded. The actions of God's servants continually inspire all of us to strive for that which he has ordained us to do. When I read about the Apostle Paul and the mighty wonderful works that God wrought through him, I believe it and long and pray for God to use me also. Don't you? And if you do not, why bother to read the Bible or narratives such as this unless you aim to criticize and pick and explain away the power of God? May Almighty God confound you in your purposes. Let us not be doomed to repeat the folly of ignorance of our heritage and theology of which the Baptists of 1800 to 1850 were guilty. By the way, that's when the Baptist, Southern Baptist Convention, all the conventions started at this time of apostasy. Uh, let us not repeat the error of the early 20th century brethren who nearly buried our heritage. That was when fundamentalism came about. Can our churches and our colleges survive without their true roots? History has proven they cannot. Moreover, let us not be satisfied to have a religion of mediocrity with no burden, no tears, no passion, and no true holiness. Yes, we are compassed about with a great cloud of witnesses. You see, these that have gone before us testify to us that he hath begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. Might we remember our Baptist heritage and the memorials they set for us. And might we set aside, lay aside the weights and the sin which so easily beset us. May we be encouraged and challenged by them and their faithfulness. Might God help us to be faithful till Jesus comes.